This is Ingredient Insiders. I'm John Magazzino. And I'm Andrea Parkins. Each week on Ingredient Insiders, we'll be speaking with chefs and food makers about a specific ingredient that they love to cook with or that they produce. We'll also be talking to the suppliers, producers, our vendor community about all the ingredients that they offer and how they bring them to chef's kitchens. This is a fun one, Andrea, because we're going to be talking about olive oil this week. Not just olive oil, but olive oil from Greece. Our jobs involve bringing foods in from around the world that we distribute to restaurants. The Chef's Warehouse is a supplier to what we like to call the best restaurants in the United States, the white tablecloth restaurants, hotels, country clubs, caterers. One of the nice things about that day-to-day job is we become friends with a lot of the people that we work with. Yeah, I think we get to go on trips and with chefs, we bring our customers to the suppliers. So we're talking about Greek olive oil. I know you traveled with your good friend and the guest for this show, Doug Saltis, to Iliada in Greece. And it really cements the relationship with the customer and it adds so much value, I think, to the brand, to the quality of the product when you're sitting there looking at the olive trees and watching them press the olives and then you're back at your restaurant and you're cooking. It's just an amazing experience. Yeah, no doubt. It's one of the best things that we offer to our yeah. our great clients is you take them to visit where something comes from, how it's made. They get to really see it, touch it, feel it. And, you know, you take a chef like Doug Saltis, who you mentioned from Chicago. He's got a great line of restaurants that he's worked with over the years. And right now he's got a place called Andros Taverna which is this amazing Greek place. Mm -hmm. But when you take a chef to see the production, you make a lifelong client out of that chef with that product because they meet the producer. A bond is formed. It's not just an olive oil in a tin. No. And you find that, you know, some of the best things that we've ever done in our our business involve those trips. I know, you know, the founder of our company, Chris Pappas, over 25 years ago, took a trip to Venezuela to visit a chocolate plantation. Mm Mm-hmm with a group of pastry chefs from around the country. And those pastry chefs still talk about that trip to this day. It's great for the chef's warehouse. It's great for the producers. You know, Costas, who's the... uh, the olive oil maker at Iliada, you know, I consider him a personal friend at this point. You know, that's to me is so important that you know where the food and the ingredient is coming from. So, you know, being able to see it being made, we hear a lot of stories and people can read a lot of stories in the news that there's a lot of fraud in the industry, especially in the olive oil industry. Oh, yeah. So I think, you know, if you're a chef and you go and see the production, you know what you're getting is legit. Yeah. You see the olive trees, you see the people who pick them, Uh, you know, you meet the actual producers, uh, you know, the pickers, the packers, everybody who's working around that product. To your point about fraud in this olive oil in the last 10 years, there's been so many stories about the adulteration of extra virgin olive oils, unscrupulous business people putting things into the bottle to cut costs and cut corners. When you're there and you see exactly what's going on, it really removes any of those questions. You know, you have to educate yourself a little bit on what you're buying. Yeah. And another thing that's great, and I, you know, I mentioned Doug opened Andros Taverna, which is a Greek restaurant. For him to go to Greece, to see the olive oil and to taste it there and to see how they use it with the local cuisine is another great aspect. I'm really excited to talk to Doug and Costas about the trip that you guys had together visiting Iliada and hearing about all of your crazy stories. Yeah. One of my craziest stories about Costas actually takes place in Los Angeles. Well, this is a Billy Zane story. Do you know who Billy Zane is? He's an actor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Think Titanic. Yes. So Billy Zane is 
actually a Greek ancestry. He somehow befriended Costas from Iliada a few years ago. I'm in Los Angeles. Costas is in LA to do a special Iliada dinner at Republic Restaurant. Mm -hmm. And Billy Zane's kind of like a guest of honor. Yeah, yeah. It's a great restaurant. Walter Mansky, amazing Mm -hmm. chef. The day before the big dinner, Costa says, John, we had just done a presentation to our sales team in L.A. He said, I'll give you a lift back into you know downtown L.A., but uh, we got to go stop by this swimming pool to go say hi to Billy Zane. I'm like, stop by a swimming pool? Yeah, I thought it was weird. He was at the like the town pool in Beverly Hills. Wow. So we I feel drive like Billy Zane over. would probably have his own pool. Yeah, I would thought so, too. But anyhow, we get over there. We kind of go through the entrance to this pool and there's a big lap pool and there's a kiddie pool and a jacuzzi and Billy Zane is swimming laps in the pool. I'm in business attire and Costas and I see him. We wave to him. He swims over towards us and he says, let's go guys, get in the pool. And I I said, no, 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 I'm not getting, I'm not swimming. I'm, you know, I'm going back to my hotel in a few minutes. He said, no, 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 no. There's a swimsuit underneath the chair you're sitting on. I was on like a pool lounge seat. Mm-hmm. He's like, I was like, no, nah, I'm fine, Billy. I'm not going to swim. I, I'm, I'm going to go back to my hotel in a few minutes. You know how, do you remember Titanic when he got really nasty with yeah. Kate Winslet? Like mm-hmm. he was like pointing at her like, you got to do this. He was like, go he went put, Titanic on you. To, he, he, he said, <laughs> go put that suit on right now. And I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. Okay. And I reached out and I like carried this plastic bag with a bathing suit in it into the locker room. It was a little wet too. Like he, and I swear I've never done this in my life. I put on another person's bathing suit (laughs) that was not completely dry and walked out (laughs) and jumped in the pool. With Billy Zane. And I was like, this is very surreal. Yeah. Why am I wearing Billy Zane? And then we we were Did you keep the bathing suit? No, I did not. We, I think he asked for it back. I put it back (laughs) in the plastic bag. It was one of the most surreal moments of my life. It was like, uh, you know, five o'clock in the afternoon on this perfect Los Angeles, bright, sunny sky day, clear blue skies. And me and Costas and Billy Zane were sitting together in the jacuzzi. At the Hollywood County pool. Yes. And we were just, just talking about (laughs) movies and olive oil. It was very strange. Wow. It's the weird places my job takes me. (laughs) I am so excited about this episode. Just talking about it is making me want to go back to Greece and go back to the island of Crete and to the Kalamata region where they make Iliata. That would be just a dream to be able to go there right now. This episode is in partnership with the Chef's Warehouse and produced by Hey Now Media. We have a good friend, an amazing chef, a real treat. That's a. That's exactly what this is. This is a treat. We have Chicago's. Well, he's actually New York originally, but he's now an incredible asset to the city of Chicago. Chef Doug Saltis of Andros Taverna. Thank you. Great to be here. Great to be back in New York. He's a New Yorker. You're a New Yorker originally. Originally, yeah. A Long Island. A Long Islander. But he never said Long Island. He's not that kind of Long Islander. No, that's South Shore, John. You're like a more of like a story uh spent a, good, spent a good time in my life there, yeah. So, uh, yeah, Long Island as a child and a good part of my adolescent youth in Astoria, Queens. And do you know that Doug has a wonderful memoir called The Seasoning of a Chef? came out in 2002 or two thousand. Nice. And already already had a long, illustrious career back then. And here we are 16 years later, and you got so many more stories. I think you'd have to write a second, a follow-up, the sequel. They would, yeah. Part two. The yeah, seasoning of a chef, part two. 
Yeah, it was an amazing um, opportunity to write a book. I wrote it with my brother, who did a lot more of the writing than I did. I lived the stories, which was uh, hard enough. And uh, it was about uh, coming up and becoming a chef. So it was up until the point of like achieving that chef position, those responsibilities, and what it took to get there. Doug was the first American chef that the multi-starred, Michelin-starred chef, Alan Ducasse, he was put in place as the chef of a restaurant. That was a big deal. Wow. That was a big deal back then. Very big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Before that, it was, you know, Ducasse had only given that position. You had to be French. French. Been with him for 10, 12 years. Yeah. What did that feel like? Felt like I was on top of the world. Felt like a huge achievement. And one of the things that always strikes me, uh, two things that strike me from that time. One, I felt like, wow, I've, I've achieved, I've gotten there. And then the restaurant that I was the chef at was Mix in New York, which was located on 57th Street and 6th Avenue and or 58th Street. And I walked around the corner after work one day and there's Off Goodman. So I felt quite small once again. So that was humbling. And then a trip I took with John and a group of amazing chefs. To Michael it, White. Michael White, Andrew Carmelini. John Schaefer. I mean, it was incredible. Yeah. All of you were in your infancy of your career, so to speak. Yeah, we were chefs, and but it was like our first chef jobs and positions in some ways. And right. Carmelini was doing amazing things at Cafe Belude, and Michael White was at Fiamma at that time. And yeah. went to Italy, and the first day there, I couldn't understand how these people were happy doing what they were doing. Right. We had a, a lunch at a place, I can't remember, a big platter of kind of like charred, grilled lamb that's just like all kind of chopped up lamb. And I was like, how are they happy doing this? I have been focusing my time and working on like, you know, perfect squares, things just done so perfect. And reflecting back on it, I was like, wow, I was like miserable in how I was working, achieving great things. And these guys were working so careless and free and having a great time. By the end of that trip, I was like, wow, they're actually happy. You're yeah. saying the chefs in Italy that were preparing yeah. that food. Because yeah. it's just, yes, it was. it's all about the ingredient. It was very simple preparation, to your point. It's soulful. Yeah. Italy. And you were doing the precision, the French technique. Yeah, it didn't matter what it took to get to the end product. There was a lot of pain to get there if it's arguing with purveyors or fighting for things or pushing your staff to work as hard as possible. All these like crazy, unachievable things that we would try to achieve on every plate. And at that point, I was with Ducasse for seven years, six and a half, seven years. And it's like, our goal was to achieve excellence every single time. Do you feel like that trip changed the way you cook today and like in your restaurant now at Andros Taverna? Oh, the impact it had on the products in America, on the restaurants in New York is unparalleled. It changed the what, way... Talk, talk to us about that. What did, what items? I mean, I know one in my head. The fall gras. The Terrible olive oil. Terrible olive oil. Tagashi olive. The Tajaska olive itself, which you now see on menus Everywhere. across the country, there's no question. Tajaska olive oil and Tajaska olives was directly from Ducasse. Uh, so I'll go to a restaurant and I'll see those products on a shelf. And now I'm like, all right, we're in the right place. Right. And the ingredient you want to talk about today is olive oil. I also think of Ducasse as somebody that the cuisine is so based upon olive oil. Ducasse was one of the first kitchens I had the opportunity to work in where there were different olive oils for different things, for meat, for fish, for cooking, for sauteing, for finishing. I think most people, when they're buying olive oil, especially like home consumers, they buy one and they use it for cooking if they dip bread into it. In restaurants, as you just said, they're using two, three, four different kinds depending on the dish. I think a lot of times people are buying olive oil that's so filtered that doesn't have the same uh, freshness or fruit left to it. And in the restaurants now, especially with the great products that come in, you now have it's almost like a fresh fruit in a bottle. So when you pour an olive oil, you can pour a great green olive that has that buttery taste. You can pour a great olive that has that great artichoke and peppery flavor for a piece of steak. Right. 
I guess I, I make it very easy for myself. If I'm doing Bisteca Fiorentina, I tend to think a Tuscan olive oil that's peppery and artichoke is perfect for this. Right. And when cooking with Ducasse, and, you know, the one oil that forever will be etched in my mind is the Riviera. From Terra Bormana. The Terra Bormana Riviera olive oil is the purest form of what I love in olive oil. It's almost like liquid butter, that olive oil. It's clean. It's buttery. It's fresh fruit. There's no pepperiness. I bathe fish in that stuff. Yeah. For me, a great whole cooked fish over charcoal finished with a buttery olive oil and a little bit of lemon juice is amazing. Right. Now, in that same olive oil, in the same light, to Andrea's point, if you pour a Terbormane Riviera onto a beefsteak Fiorentino or a spicy dish, you don't get quite the same effect. It doesn't stand up to the food as much as, say, a Tuscan oil or a really grassy oil. Yeah. So you would use Terbormane for oh, fish. Salads. Salads. Crudos. The like simple. softer, like lighter dishes rather than something more heavy? Yeah, definitely. What I, oil I, are you using at Andros Taverna? I use quite a few olive oils, but one of them that I really lean into heavily is a... Iliana olive oil. The producers become a friend. From Greece. From Greece, yeah. Greek olive oil probably wasn't in a conversation 20 years ago. Unless you went to a taverna in a Greek town in the United States. Or you were in Greece. Have it in the cans and it'd be yes. almost like a, a workhorse oil. It was right. never like in a bottle and positioned. And, you know, it's one of the things I think Italy's done an amazing job with is their marketing and positioning. And it took a little while for Greece to get there and they're getting there. And now, you know, when... I was presented with the Ililada olive oil. I was like, this is what I'm looking for. It's fresh. It's green. It's buttery. It's delicious. So I pair that with most of my grilled seafood. Use it for the salads. I use it liberally throughout the restaurant. We rarely use butter at all. Maybe in a few pastries. But olive oil is used, I guess, might have a quarter cup of olive oil throughout the dishes. Right. In a salad. Dressing the fish with the octopus, the calamari roast in the wood oven with the olive oil. Things get finished with the oil. The lamb shank gets finished with oil. The, the chops off the grill get brushed with. I create this lado lemono, which is a warm lemon vinaigrette with a few seasonings that will brush on meat while it's cooking. And the olive oil helps the, the sugars from the olive oil and the lemon juice help for the meats to caramelize. It's our staple. Most recipes, if not every recipe, has it. All the different ones from them. You know, the single right. harvest, the organic... They have a chocolate olive oil that my wife loves to use. A lot of different applications we use for it helps balance the food. And when I say that, it helps to highlight the fish. It helps to be in the background. It is a crutch I use to elevate a lot of the food I'm cooking. The one thing about Greek oils, just to talk again specifically about Greece, I love a few things about it. I find them very versatile for the most part. They're not super delicate. And they're also not super grassy or spicy or too heavy. You can pair it with seafood, either to cook with it or in it or finish it. But you can also do lamb and you can also do vegetables. And I think it really covers the gamut. And if there was one oil on the planet that if I had to choose just one oil for all of my cooking, it'd probably be Greek. For me, it is. I've used it in Italian restaurants and steakhouses in a lot of ways. With that, it's it really covers, you know, we'll say 70 or 80% of what you're doing. Yeah. And then you'll have your highlights, right? And then you're like, all right, for this steak or this carne crudo, I need a, a Tuscan olive oil or something that, that brings the pepper. Tuscan olive oils are some of the best olive oils in the world. I love Tuscan olive oils. I love Laudemio by Frescobaldi. I love, there's other small estate oils I've had. Uh, Stella Di Compalto, who's a winemaker in Brunello de Montalcino. She makes incredible olive oil on her state, but 
as far as versatility, it's tough to use that across the board. You can't use that with fish. No, no, that's, you can't use it for a lot of things. And the Greek olive oils I've learned to work with, I'm using them almost across the board. It could be in a salad dressing. It could finish a dish. It can be the cooking. More versatile than some of the Italian heavy hitters. Yeah. I mean, we're geeking out here on olive oil. I, most people at their homes and even a lot of chefs, they just use, let's just call it olive oil, an extra virgin olive oil, and they'll use it across the board and they're not really picking up on all of the nuances that are going on. And so different regions and different countries produce different extra virgin olive oils. And I think it's important for people to understand that. It's like wine, John. It is very much like wine. The terroir, the, right. the soil that, that the you know, the olive trees grow in, Right. that affects the flavor of the olive and then the olive oil. Yeah. And would you pair a very delicate, fruity white wine with a steak with, you know, would you have a, a cab with a fish? Yes. Right. Well, I think even more than that, I think for the home consumer, the novice olive oil person out there, if you're buying just on price or you're going and buying the best bottle, you're like, oh my God, for an amazing bottle of Tuscan olive oil. It's incredible. I guess where Greek olive oil was, was really olive oil. They weren't in search for the, the representation of a single fruit, those high notes. You know, they'll fry in it, they'll cook in it in a thousand ways, they'll use it for pastries. And they have olive oils that are great, that are fantastic, that are just workhorses, right? And that's right. part of their, the ones they make at home. Sure. They're using it every day. They're frying their eggs in it. Yep. And then we'll be presented with like, oh, this is the best olive oil. And you're like, you know, it, it comes out of the bottle and it's an olio verde. And it's amazing. But you're like, right. But it's horrible for that application. Yeah. And the Greek olive oils and the ones I love to use, then they now stretch that range of I can fry an egg in it or I can finish an amazing piece of fish with it. And that's what I love, the delicateness of it, the versatility of it. You know, I think for a long time, a lot of us think the great olive oils of the world come from Italy. I think one of the things you've educated me and I've been schooled on, a lot of the best olive oil in the world is packaged in Italy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, some of the great countries around there that share very similar climates and climate zones that might produce things at a lower price point sell a lot of that oil. Yeah. Well, here's a weird thing. So olive oil is one of the most ancient foods on the planet. And this is something I spend a lot of time trying to sell and educate around olive oil. This is almost like the chicken or the egg question. I have noticed that the olive oils that come from specific regions perfectly suited to the cuisine of that region. And I'll give you guys a couple of examples. So we talked about Tajiasca olive oil from, which comes from the extreme northwestern part of Italy, Liguria, which is the part of Italy that borders Monaco and the south of France. Mm -hmm. The cuisine of that region is very seafood driven. It's very delicate. Doug mentioned crudo and raw fish. Uh, they have a lot of vegetables that grow there. The oil that comes from that region is a perfect match for that cuisine. You go to Tuscany, where you have rich bean stews, the Fiorentina steak, which is char-grilled and, you know, it, it's Heavier intense. Dishes. And you have an olive oil that is very green, grassy, and intense that pairs extremely well with the food. And then you go to another region of the world, maybe let's talk about Greece, and you have an oil that's very versatile and they will use it across all of their cooking. And I, this to me is what came first, the olive oil, because it is a thousands of year old food, or was it the cooking and that somehow they planted the olives that matched the food? 
I don't know if anybody knows the answer to that question. Yeah, I don't, I don't know the answer to that, but I know for me, you know, I kind of really dumb things down and make it very simple for myself. And I believe in that as well. Like if somebody wants me to cook food from the south of France or Monaco, it's like, well, I need great products, pristine vegetables, right? Amazing fish. And I need the Riviera olive oil. Nothing I'll do will be, it won't be good. It'll just be fine. You know too much. I'm sold on what grows together, goes together. What and grows together, goes together. I think it's pretty simple. You know? yeah, I, I love it. You know, there's a lot of really intelligent people cooking these days, and they kind of outsmart me in some ways. And for me, it's like really simple. And uh, I've always found it to be very enjoyable when eating it smells right, tastes right. And the olive oil is a great supporting cast. really helps highlight things. I think that's why California olive oils have become more popular in the last 10 years. I mean, California cuisine is all about the freshness, the vegetables and, you know, seafood dishes. And I think that olive oil speaks to it. And I think a lot of chefs around the country try and mimic that a little bit. And I think that's why we're seeing this kind of surgence of chefs wanting California olive oil and being okay with not using anything that's imported. Look at California, the products there, right? The fish, the meat, the vegetables, the fruit, the olive is in that family. And it's like, if you're cooking and you went to that Napa Valley restaurant, I'd want to have some great olive oils from Napa Valley. We, we didn't talk about that too. Doug worked at the French Laundry. TK. He worked for Chef Thomas Keller. Who is a huge olive oil fan. Is that where you met your wife? I did, yeah. At the, see, that's a nice place to meet your wife, the French Laundry. What kind of olive oil do they use there? Thomas has a, his own property. Yeah. He likes Monty from Tuscany. Yeah, he works very closely with them and develops that. Um, he'll have an oil verde. I mean, yeah. Thomas is, you know, first of all, uses impeccable ingredients. That was one of the other kitchens. I mean, Ducasse and the French Laundry, probably two of the kitchens I walked into as a young cook, a young chef, where I saw five to six different olive oils. So you went from the highest rated restaurants in the world, the most pristine, the most precise cooking... And then you went to Chicago. Uh, Doug opened up some incredible restaurants in Chicago, RPM Italian, RPM Steak, certainly what I would call fine dining. But why Chicago? Uh, you know, at that point, I thought I'd ran my course kind of working under another chef. Needed some space to kind of have my room, to have my own voice. I was looking at a property on the Upper West Side, and I had a single investor. I was looking at a property in Berkeley and was meeting some guy as a business partner. I was talking with Rich Melman to come to Chicago and work on some restaurants with him. I had bounced back and forth. My biggest takeaway was I had a lot more to learn as far as business. My goals in moving to Chicago and starting to work with Lettuce and Tainu was a finishing school for me to really become a restaurateur and have a firm understanding of the business side. As the previous 15 or 20 years were just on culinary, just on cooking, just on learning products. And over the last 10 years, I've had the opportunity to we open 21 restaurants together. I work in every facet of it, from design to creation to operating to training. And it, uh, it was really a formidable part of the uh, of my career that gave me a strong confidence. In so it's not just all about the food. It's every single piece that's important to you. Very much so. And, and the business is really important. Yeah. I think as we all have learned, and when the business is, is not healthy, it's not good for anybody. Starting with the purveyors, and those are the ones that were the hardest for me to ever think of letting down. The guests, the employees. Yeah, the last 10 years were really focused on just becoming a businessman and thoroughly understanding the restaurant business. And you say that so casually, yet I think of, and whenever anybody tells me they're going to Chicago, I send them to Andros Taverna now. But RPM, both the Italian and the steak, are 
kind of marquee restaurants for the city. You're no longer involved, but you created, uh, you know, what are now kind of the gold standard restaurants of the city. So 2020 happens, pandemic, as we all know. And you decide to open a restaurant. And you open Andros. What was that like? Where did Andros come from? So, yeah, 2020, I think for a lot of people, it was time to take stock in life, right? Where are you at? Where are you going? What's important to you? We started to realize that a lot of things that are important. And when focusing on what's next for me, I'm an optimist. I, I believe things will be strong again. I think we're seeing some great little murmurs of some strength coming back, which is exciting. And, you know, I kept repeating to myself, I want to do a lot less. That means a lot more. Over the last probably six years, I created a few restaurants. They were like really, really odd and funky and they worked really well. One was a ramen shop. And I was like, I love the Greek one like this. It'd be awesome. You know, I did a sushi place. And I was like, wow, this would be really cool Greek, you know. And I did a, a little tapas bar and I'm like, yeah, that'd be great. And then I did another restaurant and it was a pizza shop. And I was like, wow, this would be an awesome Greek restaurant. And then when I had this space, I was like, wow. And, you know, at first I was like, I'm going to keep learning. I'm going to do a Neapolitan restaurant. I want to get a VPN certification. That's what I'll do. And then I was like, no, no, I'm going to lean into my heritage do something that means a lot to me, narrow my focus. I felt some responsibility of doing a Greek restaurant in a manner where it's rarely been presented before. How do you describe Andros Taverna? You know, I, it, I always dance around the word modern, right? But I would say Andros Taverna is, is a true, confident Greek taverna. For me, I, I have a, uh, a lot of confidence in being able to identify and source great products from around the world. I have a lot of confidence in cooking very simply. I really felt that was the spotlight that Greek food needed to have on it, as opposed to some of the kind of early renditions of the Greek dreamscape of the white restaurant with the blue ceiling and kind of heavy-handed dishes. One of my best food memories on this planet was being with Doug and his wife and some other chefs on the island of Crete in Greece, and we went to this taverna. You know, we walked through the the main part of the restaurant and then into the back courtyard. We didn't even know what was behind the restaurant. It was in a little village. Mm -hmm. You walk through the dining room, through the kitchen itself, past a spit that had lamb on it. Yeah, you stop there and you're just like, what? Yeah. You knew it was going to be good, though, once you saw that. Yeah, we had a pretty good feeling about it. Yeah. And then you walk out the back door of the restaurant, literally, and there is the GNC and about 10 tables with chairs and we had a big group of people and we sat there to Doug's point about the food. It was just pristine ingredients, simply prepared. I'm assuming you took some inspiration from that meal itself. If we can recreate that moment for every table, we win. Here's 20 little dishes. And then here's four plates of the lamb that was on the sula inside. And it was incredible. The Greek wine is fantastic, right? It's it's underappreciated. It's undervalued. Right now, I think that's very uh, important for people. They get an amazing bottle of wine. And is it the level of a Burgundy? No. Will we get there? Probably not. But is it amazing to have four bottles at a table with the lamb or with fish and stuff like that? And it matches the food. It's perfect. It's like amazing. It's a part of the meal. It's not, it's not right. going to steal the meal. You don't have to be quiet for it. There's a big decanting session. It's just like, keep opening up the bottles. And It's the same way you've been talking about the olive oil. It, it, it's all just very symbiotic and works very well. And that meal we had there and what I took away from it, right? We stopped at the hearth. We, we stared at the souvla. You walk in Andrew's Taverna, the souvla, the hearth is roasting in front of you. You see it. You smell it. We want 12, 13 little dishes around the table. There's a little bit of scoraya, there's some horto over here, there's a lamb roasting, there's a little bit of octopus. You order for the table. Greek food is not fussy. It is delicious to the umpteenth degree. It's as fabulous as any food on the planet, but it's not fussy. And it's, it's ingredient driven. It's absolutely ingredient driven. And it's just fun. To Doug's point, you get four bottles of wine and you have all these different bites at the table. What makes it all work so well is 
the price point is fantastic, right? I use Iliata. Oh, I, you know, for me, it's, it's my, not every- because I'm, you know, I, I can buy the better oils, but Iliata dollar for dollar. It's the, it's like your go-to. It's, it's, yeah. It's, it's easy. exceptional value yep. and it works for everything. Mm-hmm. Seven years now. I've been using it like you're I, a devotee of Iliata. I, I, I've used it in, in, in restaurants from barbecue restaurants for salad dressings to ramen shops, sushi shops for places they need olive oil to Italian restaurants, steakhouses. And now, you know, I celebrate it in, in the Greek tavern. Here's a little nugget for everybody. One of the great other customers of Iliata olive oil in New York City, restaurant Danielle, Danielle Baloud, for a number of years has been one of their kitchen staples. And I always respected that they had the open mind to use it and it's savvy actually because it's really good and to, Doug was making the point earlier you have a business to run it's a really if, great value for what you're getting you don't need to overpay yeah just because the price is high doesn't mean it's better right. I guess that's but the, point. The, the win the win is it's a great business decision it's a great value and it's a great product like so it's like it's that's not win, even like win win I'll compare it against what they're bringing me in in a 750 like taste this and you're like it's fine but I think taste this is exactly what chefs, consumers, whoever, doesn't matter, just taste it. Instead of like having it in your head, like I have to buy Italian oil or I have to buy this kind of oil, taste it. I love that dialogue because I've always said this about our job in the food industry, working for Chef's Warehouse. Our job is to sell food to chefs. Yeah. And people are like, well, John, you do such a good job. And I've always said, I'm not selling anything. I walk into a restaurant and if I go to see a chef like Doug and he says, hey, I want to talk about olive oils today, I'm going to bring him Three or four olive oils that I personally like, that I know that I stand behind the quality. They might be different price points. They might be different flavor profiles. But all I'm telling Doug is, let's open the bottles and taste it. Exactly to your point. There's no fooling anybody. He's got a great palate. Exactly. And he's going to say, I like this and I could use this for this. I don't like this. It's just not my thing. This one is very expensive. I might use it for something. And from a chef, what I look for is education and knowledge. Rivera comes into me and and he's like, I have this for you. And it's like an out of season product. And he's talking about price. This is the wrong guy. Don't care about price. Product sucks. What do you start every dish with when you turn on that? You put the pan on the stove, you turn it on, and what do you do? Well, for me, you know, I'm probably going to reach for olive oil, right, if I'm doing that. So doesn't it matter? In my opinion, I, I get so frustrated with chefs because I'm like, this is the foundation. This is the start of what you're going to put on the plate and serve to your guests. Don't you want to invest? Inferior olive oil mm-hmm. can absolutely ruin your food. Oh, 100%. 100%. And I mean, you all taste products. it, nothing breaks my heart more when you go to a restaurant and they're putting olive oil out on the table, maybe instead of butter or with butter for dipping your bread in. And it has that rancid, mm-hmm. funky flavor to it. Maybe it's overly fruity, a flaw in the oil. It just turns me off for the rest of the experience. Because they look or at they it as like a giveaway. Make, they, yeah, they didn't make a good decision, an educated decision on doing that. So, and that goes back to restaurants and you evaluate them as a guest and you're like, what are your quality indicators, right? Or if you're a cook and you go in somebody's kitchen, where are their spices from, right? And where people look to save money, you're like, wow, they're buying crap spices to save 10 cents a pound. They're buying bad rice for risotto. You're saving money. What does it cost you? 50 cents a portion. I wish more chefs could see that when they're making their decisions to purchase ingredients. I think we need to clone Doug yes. and his mindset. Would you like to work for the chef's warehouse? Can we just clone you? Can we, we have, put you in all of our... I, I have a twin. <laughs> I, I'm happy to say though that most of our clients at this juncture are really open-minded now. 
It wasn't the case that long ago, um, or certainly the kitchens I'm walking in, and I'm sure I think Andrea, we're more educated. The knowledge is everywhere. We're watching it on Chef's Table on Netflix. Where yes, you know the Food Network era has occurred, and we're you know learning more about ingredients. And I think that has helped people kind of take a step back and really think about what they're putting in their consumers' mouths. Yeah, Costas from Iliada, who we're going to be talking to in a little bit, Costas is kind of like the ambassador for olive oil of the world. Costas will use olive oil for hair care. He will use it for skin care. Skin junk. He will use it for everything uh, that he possibly can. And then when he starts to talk about eating olive oil and, you know, using it in cuisine and the health benefits, you know, a lot of people hear oil and fat and calories and freak out. And yes, there are calories in olive oil that you want to be conscientious of if you're, you know, watching what you eat, so to speak. But the health benefits, especially the heart benefits and the cholesterol benefits of all eating olive oil are tremendous. It, and it's also a necessity, right? Yeah. You know, what is it? The polyperfumes or whatever they yeah. like polyphenols. Polyphenols. So it is actually a health benefit. Right. So it's not like it's actually good for you. You should have this in you. Absolutely. And the polyphenol levels of olive oil from Greece and in particularly Sparta and the Kalamata region are the high, I believe the highest in the world. So it is truly a superfood. The cuisine of the Mediterranean is where it's at. Do you like, like, or do you get sick of it? Like cooking it all day no, and then no. no, it's kind of what I choose to eat and how, how I choose to eat, especially now, you know, I think at a certain point in your life, you go through different things. And for me, health is a huge one. Eating healthier is great. I eat in abundance, right? I eat often and I want to eat the best products possible. Doug Saltis of Andros Taverna, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. We are so glad you came to New York. Thank you for having me. Great to be here. This episode is sponsored by Iliada Extra Virgin Olive Oil, one of the greatest oils in the world from Greece, a favorite of chefs, and a longtime partner of the Chef's Warehouse. We're happy to have uh, Kostas Pemenidis on the line with us. He is the man behind Iliada Extra Virgin Olive Oils from Greece. A longtime partner of Chef's Warehouse. Yep. We love the oils of Iliada. Hi, Kostas. Hi there. Good afternoon to everybody from uh, lovely and sunny Kalamata. You know what a lot of people get confused about, Andrea? That what, John? the Kalamata region, the olive that's used to make the olive oils in that region is not the Kalamata olive. Uh, that's true. There's there's two types of olives that are typically grown in Greece. The uh, Kalamata olive, which is used as a table olive. It's uh, a much larger olive, uh, dark uh, black or dark brown when it's picked off the tree, and it's produced in brine. We do not make olive oil from Kalamata olives, although a uh, recent study has shown that olive oil from Kalamata olives are very high in polyphenols and extremely healthy. However, you, we use it mostly for table olives. Kalamata olive oil, which is a PDO, protected designation of origin olive oil, is made from another type of olive called Koroneiki variety. It is much smaller. It's about, uh, let's say, two pea sizes, and it's hard and green when it's picked off the tree. Now, what makes an extra virgin olive oil extra virgin. I, I believe it has something to do with acidity. There's extra virgin olive oils, there's virgin olive oils, there's pure olive oils, there's olive oils by itself, there's refined olive oils, there's pomace olive oils. The two types of olive oils that are mostly known because of their healthy ingredients and, and exquisite taste and aroma are the two top categories, the extra virgin olive oil and the virgin olive oil. Both of those olive oils are obtained by... Um, crushing the olive, placing the paste in a malaxer, 
and just slowly relaxing the paste for about 30 minutes at fairly low temperatures of 27 degrees Celsius and then centrifuging the paste so you can separate the solids from the from the oil and then the oil is taken through another centrifuge a very fast centrifuge to separate the remaining water in in the mixture and then you have the extra virgin and virgin olive oil according to the properties they would have so yes you're right extra virgin olive oil would have an acidity content of oleic acid of 0 to 0 0.8 percent uh, zero defects uh, aromas and uh, tastes uh, above one and virgin olive oil would have an oleic acid content of 0 0.8 be between 0 0.8 and 2 and it would have a, a median defect below 3.5. Kostas, you mentioned polyphenols, which, I, you know, I, I don't think a lot of people know, you know, what they are. And there's extreme health benefits from these type of oils and polyphenol counts. Of course, you obtain olive oil from the olive, right, which is grown in an olive tree. But once you take the same tree and uh, grow it in different locations in different regions, for example, up in the mountain hill or close to the sea or in a rocky environment where the microclimate, the flora and the fauna is different, you would get a completely different product. You would get a completely different olive. Would the flavor be different? Absolutely. The flavors and the aromas of the olive oil would depend, number one, on the variety of the olive, number two, on the cultivation uh, process, number three, when you would pick the olive off the tree. For example, if you pick it when it's more green, unripened, you would get a, a more aromatic, more bitter more uh, pungent olive oil, but much, much more rich in polyphenols. It's and almost a lot like wine where they talk about terroir and microclimates and the difference between the flavors of a wine that grows in a particular vineyard. That's exactly it. Now, to answer your question about polyphenols, it's a category of, of compounds that is naturally found in, in plant foods, such as fruits, vegetables, herbs, spices, even in dark chocolate, tea and of course in olive oil. This, this chemical compound is extremely healthy. It acts as an antioxidant, meaning it neutralizes the, um, the harm, harmful free radicals that could uh, damage your cells and increase your risk of conditions like cancer, diabetes, heart disease, etc. And they're also anti-inflammatory, uh, which is the root cause of most chronic diseases. I have to say, when I talk to people about Greek olive oil, and particularly Iliada, I love, first of all, I love Greek olive oil. The flavor profile of the oils from Greece, to me, is very soft, it's very aromatic, and very flavorful. I think it lends itself to all types of cuisine. You know what I wanted to ask you about, specifically, is the history of olive oil in Greece. How long have been people been eating and, you know, drinking using olive oil in Greece. We go back to goddess Athena that gave her name to, to the city of Athena. It was a contest between Athena and Poseidon who would give its name to, to, to the new city. Poseidon's stroke is trying on, 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 on the ground and water flow out. And Athena produced an olive tree as a symbol of fertility and, and peace. And of course, the Greeks uh, named uh, the new city of Athens after Athena. Now, the fact is that Greeks consume per capita the most olive oil in the world. So, for example, Greeks would consume 15 liters, one-five of olive oil per year per capita. Wow. And in America, that would be about one liter. So the average American has consumes one liter of extra virgin olive oil per year 
versus 15 liters per person in Greece. I've heard that in Italy too, that they the consumption of oil is just so much higher. It's part of daily life in a way that it's not in the U.S. I was going to say, in my house, we're pouring oil like crazy. Yeah, mine too. But I think, you know, most Americans are not pouring it, you know, the way that they do in Europe. And I kind of have this mindset of, about the health factor. I feel that even though, you know, there's there's a lot of calories in oil, and there's a lot of fat, and it's good fat, good fat in extra virgin olive oil. But I like to douse my food liberally with it. Me too. Well, fats are an essential part of our, our daily diet. You have to eat fats because they keep the skin and uh, hair healthy. Uh, they help to absorb some fat-soluble vitamins like A, D, E, and vitamin K. However, you, you want to stay away from saturated fats because they clog the uh, your arteries, and you want to stay away from trans fats, which are extremely dangerous, and you would want to substitute those types of fats with unsaturated fats. Olive oil, monounsaturated fats, you're your, be your best alternative. I would cut down in other type of fats and just pour as much olive oil as I could in my food. Where does the name Iliata come from? Oh, I Iliad is, the, um, is one of two plays that the poet Homer wrote uh, around 800 BC. The Iliad is the Trojan War, and the other one is the Odyssey, which is the, the return of Ulysses back to Ithaca after the Trojan War. The saga, the disputes between gods and us humans, the love story between uh, Helen and the Prince of Troy inspired us to use that name. Really cool. It's a mythical name. When, when did Iliata start producing olive oil? Well, the company started in the early 1960s. My father-in-law, Andreas Giftea, started the company. He was a visionary man. At that time, when Greece was not very heavy in exports, uh, he, he had a vision and, uh, of producing a company that would export fine products grown in Greece. In the 1970s, we thought of the name of Iliata, and ever since, we've been growing and growing. And we've had a great partnership between the Chef's Warehouse and Iliata for, it seems to me, at least 30 years at this point. Yeah, almost since the beginning of the company. It's kind of, yeah. we've grown together. One of our top yeah, selling forever. products in the olive oil line. Um, it's certainly one of our favorites. What makes Iliata oil so special? When you're describing it, you know, is it, you know, what are the words that you use? What is it fruity? Is it aromatic? What makes it special? If a consumer goes to a supermarket and, you know, tries to shop for an olive oil, he, he would be faced with a wall with, I don't know, tens of, of different olive oils. So it's extremely difficult to, uh, to, to, you know, to pick. Of course, if you have a PDO sign on it, which is protected designation of origin, that will give you some kind of a validity that the product is produced in a certain region. It is authentic, it is 100% pure, and it is fully traceable. We like to think of, of olive oil just like any other juice, just like a, a fruit juice. You know, you could compare olive oil with uh, with an orange juice. So the olive oil should should taste aromatic, it should, it should smell like fruit, it should have all the healthy compounds that it should have, for example, vitamin E, K, omega-3, omega-6, and polyphenols, and of course, monounsaturated fats. And what we try to do at, with, with Iliada is we try to have a, a very well-balanced olive oil. We try to, the fruitiness, the bitterness, and the pungency to be well-balanced. In that case, the, the olive oil is a flavor enhancer of any food. The way we market is, is we, we would go to a great chef who would put a lot of labor and a lot of money and a lot of thinking and, and, and producing a dish. We would tell them, you know, just pour a little bit of, of Iliata olive oil onto anything, you know, a piece of lettuce, a piece of spaghetti, a piece of something, and try it. And you would see the flavors 
coming out, not of the olive oil. You would not taste the olive oil, but you would taste twofold and threefold the flavor of your dish. So this is the major pitch line. So that's it amazing. A, it's a really a flavor enhancer. Mm -hmm. uh, I never thought of it in that regard. I never thought of it like a juice. Th that's why they use it as a finishing oil as well on dishes, because it would bring out the flavors of the dish. We want to bring the best possible oil that will enhance the dish of a great chef at the best possible price. We have great respect to our farmers. We, we buy the olive oil from about 6,000 farmers from the region, and they have to be compensated fairly so they can produce this great PDO product. Are you producing once a year, usually in October, right? That is correct. The, the olives are picked in uh, mid-October until January, according to where the tree is and the degree of ripeness. Within 24 hours, the olive is uh, transferred to the mill, and then it's crushed, and as I previously Previously said, relaxed and uh, turned into the olive oil. Awesome. Chef Doug does another crazy thing. He makes martinis using olive oil as well. Mm. But, you know, there's a scientific basis on it. A recent study published in the uh, Journal of Agricultural and Food Chemistry, just a recent one in 2021. And the study was all about uh, evaluating how lipids would influence the bitterness and the astringency of wines, of wine tannins, basically. Olive oil uh, and the Iliad olive oil, we've been trying this for years. If you spray a little bit of olive oil in your glass and then pour a wonderful uh, red wine, the aromas would be pouring out and it'll be much more sweeter and milder. I feel that the perception of Greek oils has changed a lot just in the last five years. Well, the, the, the world production of olive oil is about 3 million tons a year, and Greece produces about 10% of that, like 300,000 tons. The U.S. is a great market because the, the import of olive oil within the U.S. is 300,000 tons per year. Greek olive oils recently uh, have been more acknowledged because we've been winning prizes and in major competitions. And Iliada in, was awarded Extra Virgin Olive Oil of the Year in, two, in 2020. And then again, Extra Virgin Olive Oil of the Year back in 2018. This year, we won 17 awards so far. If a chef says, you know, I need an oil, Iliada is always number one. Quality and yeah. value. I think that's the thing. And Kostas mentioned it earlier. I think the value that the Greek oils represent is greater than any other oil that we offer as a company. And we have, you know, something like 200 extra virgin olive oils. Yeah. So yeah, Kostas, thanks so much for joining us today. I know uh, I speak for everybody here in the studio when we say we wish we were all in Kalamata. Next with time you. in Greece. I wish you guys were here. <laughs> Absolutely. We're, we're here with open arms waiting for you. Thank you, Kostas. Thanks, Kostas. Thank you very much for having us. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Ingredient Insiders, Where Chefs Talk. Like what you hear? Write us a review and follow us on Instagram at Ingredient Insiders. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.